With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Good evening and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, uh, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Gregory Bosco, and with me as always is the wonderful co-captain, Derek. Hello, hello. Yeah, I know we took a bit of a week off. I had some uh, I had some technical difficulties that uh, <laughs> caused a bit of a delay. I thought we had them resolved last week, but that's my fault. That's my fault, everybody, not Derek's. Well, it's okay. So you took the week off, but I was able to talk to uh, three fantastic Trekkies who attended Star Trek, Star Trek Las Vegas. And I talked to them, interviewed them basically about their experiences uh, this year and previous years because... Uh, uh, a couple of them had been many times, and so that was it. Was fun. You should uh, if you if you anybody skipped that one, you should definitely go back to episode thirty nine and check that out. Well, I'm just pretending it doesn't exist because I really wanted to be on that one. Because <laughs> the people that we interviewed are people that I kind of want to get to know, anyways, because they're big Trek Trek fans as well. Mm. So it's it's like that whole high school thing. It's like, oh, you're dead to me now. It's like <laughs> you, you got to experience Star Trek Las Vegas and. Some of them are even going on that Star Trek cruise, and I'm like, this is, I'm just so jealous. Yeah, I've been keeping my eye on that cruise for a long time, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> well, there's only so much money to go around, and, you know, for those cruises, it's like $3,000 to rent, a, like, a, like an apartment-type house. I'm like, okay, that's like three mortgage payments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a big one. That's a big trip. It definitely is, and, uh, you know, like, so I'm planning, I'm hoping to get to Star Trek Las Vegas in 2020 or 2021. That's my goal. Yeah, I think my goal is kind of next year as well, or 2021 for sure. So, But you can't go next year because you have to come to my wedding. Well, that's true. I do have to come to your wedding. It's the same weekend. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll just have to move it to Vegas, eh? Hey. Hey. <laughs> all right, all right. Back, back to the show. Um, right. But what we were kind of talking about, and Derek and I have been chatting, and Jeremy can't join us again. He's still focusing on work, but he'll be back. We wanted to talk all the Picard news, and we know that people have been talking about it for a few weeks. The advantage of talking about it now is a lot of the passion has settled down a little bit, so people are being a little bit more realistic, I think. Because when I saw a lot of the people chatting and when they first announced Picard, they're like, oh, they're going to do this, and it's going to be 40 years, and there's going to be another Borg invasion, and Picard's going to save the day, and... I'm like, no, actually, that's cool stuff, and I, there's a lot of fun ideas out there. I mean, the joke that I think some of our mutual friends had of, you know, they're going to bring back Patrick Stewart, and he's going to wake up, and Q is going to be sleeping in the bed next to him. <laughs> it, uh, it just, it just for some reason, that would be a fun intro. I don't think they're going to do that. That would be a great way to kick off the show, though. Yeah, if they want to do something like All Good Things, where... Q's giving him a chance to fix something in the past or whatever. That's that'd be fun, but I do know that Patrick Stewart 
and you talked about this before, he's been very clear for, what, 25 years now? He's only coming back, or 20 years now, he's only coming back if it's something, like, for lack of a better term, worth his time and effort. Yeah, I mean, so of course, of course, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about at this point, um, at Star Trek Las Vegas two weeks ago, Patrick Stewart surprised everybody on stage to announce not only that Jean-Luc Picard is returning, but that he is getting his own show on CBS All Access. So that's what we're talking about here. And um, this is kind of a big deal because to Greg's point, Patrick Stewart had basically said that the character, he was done with with Picard. He has nothing but respect for the character and the franchise, but after Nemesis, he really felt like that chapter of his life had closed and he had moved on to to other roles, other things in his personal life and so forth. And basically, he had turned down this offer initially. This is not something he initially wanted to do. But uh Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman was able to persuade Patrick Stewart to at least come out for a visit and a conversation about it. And that's where Patrick got to meet the, the people kind of involved in coming up with this idea. The, the, the so-called brainchilds is what it's being called on, on Twitter uh, by Ted Sullivan, who's one of the writers. And um, basically um, this is Kirsten Byers concept. And those who have listened to the show know I'm a, I'm a really big uh, Kirsten Byer fan. She writes, well, she writes for Discovery. That that's first and foremost the the recent thing she does. But she also is helming what they call the Voyager relaunch, which is essentially season eight in novel form. And she's been doing that for several years and is still doing that. And I'm in the middle of her run, and it's great. It's wonderful. So uh, Ted Sullivan, who I mean, he's also one of the producers on Discovery. He's not just a writer. Um, you know, he had tweeted out that um, <laughs> he even calls Kirsten Byer the quote "keeper of the flame," you know, and said that this is her brainchild. And I think that's probably what brought Patrick Stewart kind of over to that side of the conversation. Yeah, because I'll, I'll happily admit—well, not happily, but I'll openly admit that I haven't always been the biggest fan of Kirsten's work, but Kirsten. Has a, I mean, I hate to say she has more street cred or whatever, but it's always like in the books and the comics she's helped with, the story she's written for the shows. It's like one, she's one of those like Trek royalty. She really gets what the meaning of Trek is. And I think that's what really inspired Picard because, you know, Picard's joked about how the, the TNG movies kind of became action films. And, you know, I think Jonathan Frakes even did an interview. He's like, well, that's kind of Trek, but it's not always Trek, even though he directed some of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, Picard's not going to come back for another uh, Star Trek show where it's 30 years after, 20 years after Nemesis or whatever, and it's just another war with another random species. Yeah, there's going to have to be more to it. And we keep coming back to the 20 years because we know we know very little about what this show will be, but we do know that it's supposed to take place 20 years after Nemesis. Now, this this is huge. Because this is the first post-Nemesis timeline content that's really canon in the Prime timeline. Um, of course, you have the events of um, Romulus being destroyed and Spock going back in time to create the Kelvin timeline, right? But as far as filmed content, you had the Enterprise TV show, you had the Kelvin movies, which mainly take place in the past, even though it's a separate timeline, and now Discovery, which also takes place in the past. 
So this is our first opportunity to look ahead and maybe even get to a brand new century because we are nearing the end of the 24th century. So we might even get a glimpse at the 25th century. Absolutely. And Patrick Stewart, the actor, the, the human, still looks great. I know he's everybody ages, but he looks great. He stays in great shape. He's talked about how that's important to him. He still looks the part. He looks the role. And if they do it right and they just say it's 20 years and, you know, 20 years later, that's one of the compliments I gave Force Awakens. They didn't try to de-age people weirdly. They just said, hey, what do you know? It's 25 years after Return of the Jedi or whatever. You can do that and just say he's had 20 years of life. Whether he went on to become an admiral or whether he went on, my hope is he became an archaeologist. You know, everybody assumes he wants to stay in Starfleet forever. I actually don't think so. Uh, if you watch the episode with, you know, his mentor Galen and the the search for how life was created and all that jazz, he always talked about how his one of his first loves was archaeology before before he fell into Starfleet. And so they could easily do something along those lines, which gets him involved with Starfleet without having to make him join Starfleet, because it'd be too easy just to say, here's Admiral Picard of the Fifth Fleet, because he's not going to still be a captain. I mean, he's, if he's a captain 20 years later, Starfleet's got serious problems. <laughs> well, so, yeah, there's some important things to keep in mind here, right? So there are the things that Patrick Stewart said on stage, which is that he may not be a captain anymore. And uh, he, th- this is a quote. He may not be the Jean-Luc that you recognize and know so well. It may be a very different individual, someone who has been changed by his experiences. So, you know... There's a lot that can happen in that time frame. When you think about the Picard we see in Farpoint versus the Picard we see in Nemesis, that's not even 20 years. No, exactly. Or even Picard in Farpoint versus Picard in All Good Things. I mean, even Absolutely. the, the seven-year episode span, he changes, he reacts, he grows as a character, grows as a person, which I think is the element of good character writing. Mm-hmm. It's... uh. You know, a perfect example, and I've referenced it before, is Game of Thrones. Jamie Lannister, love him or hate him. But the character growth in the books and the show makes people question what they thought about him when they first heard about him or saw him on screen. You know, they're still like, he's a jerk, he did evil stuff, but then you're like, man, maybe he did evil stuff because he had a real, whatever. It, people right. grow, and people develop and learn more, and maybe and maybe somehow in the 20 years there's a... Another, maybe he's broken by all the wars with the Borg and the Dominion and the crisis of rebuilding Cardassia. Maybe he's just, he's tired. He's like, I can't do this anymore in Starfleet. I want to go have some sort of peaceful life somewhere. Now, if you look at the timeline, this is just about when, not exactly, of course, but it's about the time that we see in the alternate future of all good things. That's so a very with- good point. You know, Captain Beverly Picard and, you know, Worf is now in the Klingon Empire and, you know, Riker is an admiral aboard the the Dreadnought Enterprise-D refit and, and that type of stuff, right? So this is about that time within a couple of years. So, you know, that Picard was very different than the one that we had on the show. So maybe that's why the Klingons conquer Romulus is or the Romulan Empire because Romulus is destroyed. I mean, that would make it easier, that's for sure. It would make it a hell of a lot easier. Now, what I think is really important here is everyone... Not everyone. I don't mean everyone. There have been a lot of articles and a lot of people talking about how Captain Picard is back. And, and you know, then people, of course, are like, well, he wouldn't still be a captain. He'd be an admiral by now. 
And I, I, I want to say, I do not think for a second he would ever have accepted being an admiral. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. He's either not an admiral or he's a captain, but or he's not in Starfleet. I mean, because he's not going to... He loved being on the final frontier. He even said that to Will Riker a couple times when Riker got a promotion offer. Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, you know, you could go be captain of your own starship, doing great things, exploring the galaxy on your own. Or you can stay here, executive officer on the flagship. And Riker's like, huh, well, you just made my decision. Absolutely. And if you think about the movies, Generations, this is what Generations is about, right? That whole speech that Kirk and Kirk gives Picard when they're on horseback, you know, is you know, don't let them promote you. You know, because when you're in that chair, you can make a difference, right? That's the line. And I definitely think Picard took that to heart. And you, I think you can absolutely see that in Insurrection and in Nemesis. Because, um, you know, First Contact is a vendetta film, right? He wants revenge against the Borg. Fine. And that's where you get action hero Picard. I love that movie, but that's a separate conversation. But in Insurrection, he sees what his own Starfleet is becoming, right? And he stands up for that, but he does it. He, do, he doesn't do it by moving up to being an admiral, right? He's even willing to give up being a captain to do the right thing. In Nemesis, after everything that happens in Nemesis, as demoralizing, as defeating, as just depressing all of that is, the movie ends with a slightly higher note. He's walking the corridors of the ship as it's being repaired. And it's a whole new chapter in his life because Riker and Troy are gone. Data, we're not really sure, right? And there's still that positive note of him knowing that he is he he knows who he is and he knows he belongs on that ship. Now, 20 years after that, what's going to happen to him then? I think you're headed in the right direction, Greg, when you're talking about his love and passion for archaeology. Well, that, and I hope they do something really unusual. Give him a wife or whatever. I mean, have him, you know, have him have a family. He doesn't have to have kids. But maybe he reconnects with an old lost love, or maybe he meets a female archer. Maybe he reconnects with Vosh somehow. And Well, let me throw this out there. Do you want to see him and Crusher get together? I actually do not. Oh, um, I this not I love Gates McFadden. I see her at the conventions. She's such a fan favorite. She engages. She she gave me an autograph once, and she signed her photo. And she said, "I'll see you at your next physical," and put her heart around it. And <laughs> I mean, she so she's so engaging. It's not about Gates McFadden, but I think they could play that into part of the storyline if they wanted to have Gates McFadden involved. Is she feels like spurned by Picard because Picard fell in love with somebody else or something? You know, that kind of challenge that's not just, you know, they he married Beverly because he was supposed to. But the other thing I would love for them to do is, if like following your idea, if they do something where the Klingons, you know, we're joking, they did take the Romulan Empire because whatever. Maybe Starfleet becomes, starts becoming more militaristic again. And that's what gets Picard engaged, where he's like, this is not Starfleet. This is, yes, we defend ourselves, but we don't purposefully become militaristic. I mean, Starfleet's always been a military organization that does science. No, no. Yeah, it's... I, I have to disagree with come you. Come on. They're always prepared for war. 
that's different. Being prepared is not necessarily the same thing. I mean, Scotty says it. Picard says it. Picard himself says that Starfleet is not a military organization. I mean, I agree, but look at the United States Navy. It still does a whole heck of a lot of science and exploration, but it's a military wing. I Yeah, but I don't... I don't I do not equate Starfleet with the Navy. I know that Star Trek is very naval in the way the ships are handled, but I think that's as far as that parallel really goes, right? I, for me, I, I think it's more of it's, – it's its own entity. It is a giant, a massive organization that acts as the main technological arm of the Federation, or at least of Earth's part of that. And yeah, it's it's ready for battle. They're not going to be pushed around, but that's not its primary goal. I mean, that's why whenever there is a war, they're always strapped for ships because most of their ships are Miranda class or Oberth class or something like that, and they're just getting destroyed. You know, um, even the the Galaxy class is not a warship first. They have to give it enhancements because of the Borg. You know, uh, the Intrepid class Voyager is not a warship either. It it needed you know to have all these additions and advancements like the ablative armor just to survive the Delta Quadrant. It's, you know, it's like the Roman Empire that conquered the world in the pursuit of peace. I'll give you, I'll give you that. It's not so much conquering, right? Because that's not what the Federation really wants to do. They want to, they want to cooperate with other, other, or, you know, other cultures, other planets and systems. And that's why they're not, trying to encroach on Klingon or Romulan space. That's not what the, that's not what Starfleet does. Maybe that's what Section 31 does, but I'm of the opinion that I'm just making fun because we're the species that's literally fought a war with everybody around us in this in this universe. Um I mean, I don't think we were ever at war with, you know, the the core, right? The Andorians, the Vulcans, the Tellarites. Well, they were the founding know, members Beta of the Federation. But like even Beta Zed and Ferenginar, I mean, while there's been some skirmishes, of course, there's never been a war. Does Beta Zed have a military? I know we talked about that in one episode, because they got conquered by the Dominion. You know, we it's interesting, because we don't really get to see a whole lot of that. It's not like I've ever seen... I don't think we ever see a Betazoid ship. No, because we've seen Vulcan ships and Andorian ships. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever seen a Telluride ship. But no, I'll give you... I'll concede the point that Starfleet's primarily a science thing, a science organization... But they are pretty good at the military when they need to be. And maybe that's something that happens in this new timeline. Or not new not new timeline. They're not recreating continuity. Um, in the time of this new show, maybe that's something that gets Picard more interested. Is Starfleet does become more militaristic for whatever reason. Not the goofy into darkness militarism, which resolves in them building a ship the size of a moon. But, like, like uh systemic militarism where they're encouraging people to join starfleet not for science but for security and they're doing it in that very subtle that very kind of subtle manner become a red shirt today yeah someone along those lines versus <laughs> into darkness we're going to build the most gigantic ship ever and you know that's that's so blunt and picard would never fall for that <laughs> he would have seen through that like as they were building it halfway through he would have found out about it somehow and that's what makes me wonder if they'll do something along those lines. A subtle shift, and Picard gets reinvolved in that manner. It will be very interesting to see the state of the galaxy, because this is after the Dominion War. This is after 
Voyager crippled the Borg. Now, there's some stuff that happens in the books that they could borrow from, especially with Kirsten Beyer being kind of the main player in the creation of this show. But I'm going to imagine they're going to do their own thing anyway, because this this will be canon, right? The the age old canon. So, you know, Romulus is going to have to be destroyed at some point, right? That's going to have to happen. Um, what will the Klingons do? Will the Klingons swoop in on that? How will the Federation handle that? These are really big questions because Cardassia is not really much of a player at this point, but they had 20 years to fix things up. So who knows? Yeah, but at the um, end at the end of the war, you're right. They still had like 900 million dead or something. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's that's going to take more than a generation to. It's going to take a hundred years to even potentially recover from. Now, what I think is that we're probably looking at this a little too big scale. We may get bits and pieces of the of the galaxy around him, but I imagine this is going to be a very character centric story, something that focuses on. Picard as a person, his relationships with colleagues, with friends, with family, you know, um, is his brother still alive, for example? Um, This is going to be a smaller scale, I really think so. And I think the archaeology thing, to harken back to that, is a great way to do it. Because if you look at Inner Light, or even something kind of fun like Captain's Holiday, you know, um, or his, his interest in the Iconians, Picard is an archaeologist at heart he's an explorer at heart and so he's probably going to be doing something like that maybe maybe he's trying to chase down an artifact or maybe he's teaching he could be teaching you know some type of archaeology course not necessarily at the academy but maybe um but i I expect this to not be big space battle stuff i imagine this to be very character centric no, I agree with you. There's going to be, and I was just thinking about what you said because his brother died in generations. Oh no, you're totally right. Oh but, man, but the um, the sister-in-law is still alive. I think I don't know. I have to I'll have to look that up after this. But I think yeah, you're yeah, right. You're totally right. I completely. I was not thinking, even though I talked about generations earlier. I forgot that part of the film with the photo album and how, he's crying. With how joy. dare you make a single mistake on a podcast? Yeah, this I, is, I sincerely is, apologize to this, the Trekkie community. This is the end. This is this is it. No, but I, I'm a hundred percent with you. This isn't going to be Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek. It's not going to be massive Federation dreadnoughts pounding on Klingon dreadnoughts every episode. It's just not. I really don't think Patrick Stewart would have come back for that. Are there going to be space battles? Of course there are. It's Star Trek. I think it's going to be closer to the next generation style of space battles than DS9 or even uh, Discovery. When a space battle happened in, in Star Trek Next Generation, it meant something. And it, it think it's going to be more, more closely related to that than anything else. One of the things that TNG was really known for was its messaging. You know, every, maybe not every episode, but most episodes had a moral, a lesson, something to be taught, something to learn that had to do with ethics and morality and being. And... That is what most people gravitated towards that show for because Deep Space Nine had the spirituality, it had the war, it had story arcs, and you know, Voyager was easier to consume because it had the reset button, it was very episodic. But TNG was the, hev- the heavier, kind of cerebral show, 
right? So that's kind of what I expect to see. I expect to see a story that's very much about existing, about what it means to be alive, to exist, and what it means for Picard to be who he is in that moment versus who he was as captain of the Enterprise. And there's so much stuff they could throw back to the, what we saw on TV before that gives Picard, he's got memories. Maybe they're encountering something where it's new, new life forms, new species, and some robotic species, like those little exocomp things Data, Data you know, was all fond of in like season six, I think it was, or season seven. And Picard's like, hey, wait a second, I remember we had something like this on the Enterprise 20 years ago. Here's what we did to figure it out. And boom, it's 10 seconds, it connects the, it connects both shows. But what I don't want them to do is connect both shows with... Because they're going to have to connect them somehow. But I don't want them to just go, oh, look, another board cube. How weird. I'm like, don't do that. Make it, make it a subtle connection to the shows. And let Picard learn from his past experiences, like you were talking about, to help drive new stories for his character. Well, I think... Who, who he is, the decisions he's made, that's that's the big part of Picard, right? That's what Tapestry is all about. You know, the, the whole point of Tapestry is that he has all these regrets and he has an opportunity, thanks to Q, to learn that all those things that he did made him who he is. And from that moment when he gets stabbed again on purpose and he does that laugh, he realizes that he gets to fulfill who he's meant to be. This character will be different, but I don't think it'll shake those big moments, the tapestry moments, the inner light moments, the horseback ride with Kirk in Generations, or even what he did in Insurrection, where he basically gave up his command to protect 300 people when he was fighting for the Baku. Um those are huge pillar moments for the character of Picard. They're not going to erase any of that. I don't, I don't see Kirsten Beyer doing that. I don't see Patrick Stewart going along with that. But what I do expect is a, a bigger arc, not episodic, right? It's more good. It's going to be more like discovery where we're going to get a bigger story. Um, maybe eight episodes or 10 episodes, and it'll be this kind of overarching thing and he'll uncover some kind of mystery or something like that is what I would imagine. Yeah. And I would be all about that. Cause like you said, let's, let's continue expanding on the character we already know and love, you know, generate or start next generation was all about character growth, character development, people changing. I mean, war from season one to season seven is hugely different and Picard can do the same thing and they have opportunities to explore new planets and, the technology today is 20 years, 30 years more advanced. They can take more chances. They can take more risks with the tech, with the tech portion. And I don't think they're going to, you know, there's always going to be somebody who's mad. But I just don't, like you said, don't radically change him into an illogical form. Let him be who the character we know. Let him do the archaeology stuff. Let him, let him still play that little flute he had from mm -hmm. uh, Inner Light. Because that's something, every, he's not going to suddenly stop that because... That life he lived in the memory of the probe was like a 30 or 40 year life. And it impacted him so much when he came back that he's carried that flute around with him everywhere he goes. Mm -hmm. So they could even just have him break that out at one point. That's kind of why I'm thinking it'd be cool if they gave him like a family. 
I don't know why. It's just we don't we don't typically see that with most of our Starfleet officers. I'm trying to find the best way to describe it because you know, Kirk. No, it's true because I mean, O'Brien's really the only one. Well, I guess Cisco. Cisco has a kid too, and then Balana and Tom tort at the literally at the end of the show. Yeah, but like none of the captains <laughs> or senior officer or leaders or the prime characters, none of them have a family. Like a just like a Cisco. spouse. Yeah, just Cisco. But his wife, you know, dies in the first episode. Right. And yeah, they reference back to it, and then he ends up meeting Cassidy Lee Gates in season five or something. Spoiler alert for for Deep Space Nine fans. Um, but it'd be cool to have him do something like that because then get another character in there that can balance him out maybe he maybe he's still like the very intellectual diplomat and he he if you look at all the women he's ever been attracted to in the show a lot of them have been pretty fiery and confident and proud Mm -hmm. which i think would be fun to see play on screen when they're constantly when she's constantly like challenging him or something because i think he likes that captain picard likes that as a character is to be challenged by i don't know intellectual confidants i don't know i don't know how to describe it but i think he enjoys that yeah. No, I, I'm totally with you. I think, I do think there's an opportunity here for them to, to, to connect this back, though, like you were saying, in, in somewhat subtle ways. The the Reskin flute is a great one. Um, but I think that there will be easy ways for them to have small cameos, and I do mean small. I mean small cameos. You know, you could have Crusher give him his checkup, or you could have a incoming transmission from Captain LaForge, Right. Um, these are easy things to do to show how in-universe it is. And I would expect LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes and maybe even um, uh, Roxanne Dawson doing director work for the show. Well, and you know I'm a big fan of the whole the whole idea of Captain LaForge on the Challenger. They could easily yeah. do something like that. He could, he could phone it in from a studio wherever he, close to where he lives. They'll give him a uniform and they could CGI the ship around him, even if it's only for a 30-second span. You know, Captain Picard, it's good to talk to you. I'm exploring this planet. We got an archaeological question, and I thought of you, sir. Boom. Doesn't have to go on for like three episodes. Just, mm-hmm. you could do something fun, and I would be like, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's easy ways to do it. And, you know, Jonathan Frakes has already directed episodes for Discovery in season one and now season two. Um, so I'm sure they can tap him for that. But LeVar Burton and Roxanne Dawson have also directed. Uh, Star Trek, among other things, and so you could bring them in as well. You know, they to to kind of make it feel more Trek. Now, how how weird would it be if it actually turns into almost a uh, a riff of Galaxy Quest, where it turns out the whole cast and crew shows up for like a one one episode thing, and they're all at some some weird reunion, and they actually get most of the cast and crew back together. It's only for like five minutes, right? I mean, you could do it. The tough one is Brent Spiner because Data doesn't age like humans do, right? Um, everybody else upgrade. would be pretty easy. Well, I guess. I mean, that's where it gets complicated, right? Like, you know, B four. What is the situation with B four? We don't really know in canon. Um, but everybody else would be the appropriate age. You know, you could have Admiral Riker. You could have, um, you know, Crusher be the uh, the head of Starfleet Medical or or whatever without there being an issue and Worf, I mean, you know, Michael Dorn's in a lot of makeup and stuff like that. Not, not that he looks like he's aged a whole lot. He really hasn't, but um, you know, that you could do that if, if it's written well, if the story makes sense for it. Yeah. And so many of these past cast crew and crew members, 
They take part in all the big fan conventions in Las Vegas, the sh- the crews. I, I asking them for a week of their time to film a, a scene I, is not out of the realm of possibility. And they can do it in a way, since it's shot in the future, which is something I know we've talked about a lot in the show, is seeing the future of the Alpha Quadrant, the future of Starfleet and such. They could do that without being... It's not unusual. I bump into people I worked with 15 years ago now and then, just on random operations I'm working in the field. And we say hi, we say hello, and high schools have reunions and colleges have reunions. I mean, it's not like it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Academy has reunions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if this is really 20 years later, there could be a memorial 20 years after a particular event um, of some kind. You know, there's there's different things you could do. But I, I think people have to kind of keep in check what their expectations are. I do not anticipate this being a long-running show. I anticipate it maybe being more like a miniseries, 8 to 10 episodes, maybe 13, like a Netflix series kind of thing. Um, but... If we got, I mean, getting more than a season would surprise me, um, unless the idea is to maybe kick off the anthology concept a bit and have the first season be Picard and the second season would follow somebody else and so forth. I think for me, what I'm really looking forward to is seeing is seeing the future, because we have not seen past Nemesis. And I really want to see what that looks like. What do the ships look like? What do the computers look like? Have the, you know, what are the uniforms looking like these days? Right? I imagine that they've changed. They're back to the monster frame. maroons. <laughs> but right, like they've had to have changed. Like the, the the monster maroons were around forever, but you know, TNG went through two, DS9 went through two, um, so I I imagine we'll see something different. I think you're right, and it would be cool to see the new ships and the new technology, and that's the advantage of doing something like this as a sequel, but I also like your idea of the whole anthology setup, is maybe it's eight to ten episodes of Picard, and, you know, season two is eight to ten episodes of Captain LaForge, or whatever, or or something along those lines. You know, I used to joke years and years and years ago, after yesterday's Enterprise came out, and I got older and understood television better, I'm like... I would like to see a Star Trek show set with the the Enterprise C universe with Captain Rachel Garrett with playing get the same actress and all that kind of jazz and talk about their adventures for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the Game of Thrones concept where they're talking about doing all these side quill shows and like maybe one season is this and one season is this and I'm like that that's fine, you know. With this with the current generation of entertainment which is with the oversaturation People have hard time sometimes sticking with shows for five, six, seven years. Because if they miss something, they feel like, well, I've already missed. So why bother starting it? Mm-hmm. But if you do the anthology setup and eight to ten episodes is this, and then eight to ten is this, you can keep people really easily hooked. I mean, this would be a great way to get that Worf show that Michael Dorn still wants. Um, I don't think Captain of Worf would work if you follow what happens to him in Deep Space Nine. But, um, you know, I'd love to see Worf back in action. Um, There's tons of other characters. I mean, you could follow Admiral Janeway or Harry Kim and see if if that poor guy ever gets a promotion. Um, You know, there's there's different things that you could do to see that future and see what came after 
Um, and I think that's really what I'm excited about. But let me ask you this because we kind of rushed past it. But when you heard the news that this was happening or if you had a chance to see Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart's speech, what were your initial feelings? My initial reaction was actually happy because of how like the, the fans like you and I and the people that we know, we've been listening to, to Picard, to Patrick Stewart say for years no, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this unless I find that's a story that I can't say no to. And Patrick Stewart is a very serious actor. You know, he did a lot of stage performances. He's done a lot of excellent movies. He's in one of the best movies ever made, Excalibur. And he typically picks and chooses what he's going to work on very carefully. He's vocal with the fans. He's vocal with the crowds. You know, I could watch a sitcom of him and Ian McKellen any day. So I was really thrilled, and I love that it's going to be a future, uh, a sequel future type show versus some of the legitimate concerns about Discovery about messing with canon. They're not going to have to really worry about that with timeline stuff in this show. That's the big piece of it. You know, one of the big gripes with Discovery is the issues with canon, which they say they're going to resolve and we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. But if you fast forward, you don't really have to worry about it very much. You know, Picard can have any kind of ship you want with any kind of new special slipstream quantum entanglement drive or you know he can encounter any kind of alien you could possibly imagine because it hasn't happened yet in that timeline whereas you know enterprise had the same problem with like the suluban or the denobulans how can we never see them ever again well the zindi right? i mean what the hell <laughs> right you telling me we missed a whole plan or a whole a whole backstory where the zindi fired a probe at Earth that killed, what, 7 million people? Nobody ever talked about it? Now, maybe this show has an opportunity to just throw in, you know, oh, there's a Denobulan in the background, or, you know, something like that. They have an opportunity to, to fix some of that. But that's that's the, the beauty of moving forward, is that you have the freedom to write what you want. One of the th reasons I think Kirsten Beyer excels so much in her Voyager books is because she can write the story she wants to write. You know, she keeps the show, you know, the show is as is, but she's adding to it after they get home. And because of that, there's no restrictions because we don't know what happens to the characters after they get home other than Janeway becomes an admiral because you see her in Nemesis. No, that's a good point. And they can do the same thing with this as Picard. He could be an archaeological person. He could be a captain. He could be a, an instructor at the academy. He could be the groundskeeper at the academy taking over, you know, because of Boothby, how much Boothby inspired him. <laughs> I mean... It, they they can do all this kind of stuff. I, I really don't see him being the groundskeeper, but who knows? Um, it's just they couldn't do all this stuff. And I think people legitimately don't mind risk taking with sequels. Like unless they do something where uh, I don't even know how to describe it. If they if they just make Picard suddenly not the Picard we know, like to the point where like his character growth couldn't possibly have done this. Like now he's. Like, now he's half robot because he loves the Borg or something. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's like, that wouldn't happen with the Picard we know. But if they let him grow naturally, if they let him grow, you know, what's that, or, or, organically develop as a character, and you could do all sorts of stuff with the show. You could take risks that make sense. You could show the Federation still rebuilding after 20 years. And I'm going to say still because nobody knows how much they lost in the Dominion War. But we know a lot of planets got ravaged. 
And maybe mm-hmm. that's what he's part of. Maybe he's part of the long-term redevelopment of the former demilitarized zone or something. And he's called back in the service or something. Or maybe he doesn't join Starfleet at all. Yeah. No, I think those are very good points. Um, we, you know, Like I said, we don't know much about it. It's a little ways off. I would be absolutely shocked if we had the show by the end of next year i expect this to be a 2020 show um but hey cbs prove me wrong get get this thing out the door because i know we all want to see it um it will be on cbs all access it falls in line with their plan now they want to have star trek going year round which hey i mean i'm cool with that um we have one little piece of news i guess we can cover but greg is there anything else about picard that you think we should talk about only that people out there if you have concerns on this i would not be concerned right now you know i you know i enjoy discovery but i also will admit i think discovery's got a lot of a lot of stuff it's working out i think it's continuing to grow and mature i think some of the ways they approach some stuff just on basic interviews and everything didn't go so well but i also think they're learning from that and this is an opportunity to get more star trek get more picard this is this is good it's patrick stewart he is the captain i mean he's He's my favorite captain. He's the captain I think <laughs> I think I would like to serve under the most because I have the highest chance of living and being successful. And he's not fictional. It's just a documentary of the future and it, it's being told in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is... It's a big deal. You know, uh, the last couple of years have been kind of rough for a lot of people. And Star Trek always has a sense of hope about it, especially the next generation era, the golden era of Star Trek in the 90s. Will we see it like that now? I don't know. I imagine Patrick Stewart wants to continue to show what the message of Star Trek is supposed to be, right? That's that's what he was talking about when he was on stage. You know, he, he says, I... Um, it will come to you with the same passion and determination and love of the material and love of our followers and our fans exactly as we had it before. So this is, he knows the context of the situation and we just have to wait. So, all right. Well, we do have one piece of news uh, today because we're recording this on Tuesday, which is weird, but um, we know who Spock will be played by in star trek discovery yes we do and it is a young actor named ethan peck who uh, last name p is in papa ck if that name sounds familiar that's because he is the grandson of gregory peck so that's yeah. that's a bit of hollywood royalty right there kind of a, a little out of left field for for me anyway um you know of course a lot of people wanted it to be zachary quinto but i really didn't expect that to happen um but now we know like they we're gonna have to see this character at some point um ethan peck's been in a few different things you know he's been acting for a while now he was uh most well known for uh his role in the 10 things i hate about you tv show he was also a voice in halo 4 he's been um he was in the sorcerer's apprentice a few other things so you know he's an actor he's out there um i don't know a whole lot about him Uh, as of this morning his twitter account which was verified 
uh, had zero tweets. I think he tweeted once uh, later in the day. So it's a, you know he's not the biggest social media person in the world. However, uh, his followers, of course, shot up from the Trekkie community as soon as that announcement had been made. I don't know. In these days in Hollywood, maybe being not being on social media is good for them. Uh, it might be good for you and me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just depends. But no, I mean it's. And I'm fine. You know, we're going to see what they do with Spock in next season. And I think they have an opportunity to do some cool stuff. But I think we all admit, like, they gave him the football. And let's let's kind of see what they do with it. The guy mm-hmm. does look, he does kind of have an exotic look to him. Like a like he looks like he could be a Spock almost. He's kind of tall. He's got a very muscular build. But it's not like, I'm not talking like Chris Hemsworth big. Uh, where the where a Starfleet uniform is not going to fit onto him, even though Chris Hemsworth was in 2009 Star Trek. I'm talking Thor, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, but we'll so see. I I guess that's something maybe worth bringing up uh, that we had forgotten to talk about, and that's apparently contract talks between Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth and Paramount is not going well for Star Trek 14, which um, I just can't believe. I, I'm hopeful that yeah. they're just playing games with us. I mean, I hope they figure something out. Um, Beyond did not do well financially as much as I like that movie. It, it more or less probably lost the studio money. So the fact that they still want to do this with the same cast is exciting. But it does mean that you know these A-list actors, they can't really get paid what they're getting paid to do you know, Marvel and DC films and, and things of that nature. Cause they're a list guys now. And that's, that's cool. But you know, Star Trek is a franchise that has never been super lucrative on the big screen. Um, even though we've had 13 motion pictures, um, still to this day adjusted for inflation. The most successful one is Star Trek for the voyage home, also known as the one with the whales. So what does that tell you? No, that's a good point, and I'm I'm hopeful that they find a way to work this out, and at least keep Chris Pine. I love Chris Hemsworth. Don't get me wrong; the actor's great, but I mean, if he's only in there for some flashbacks, I'm not too concerned. And if if they're doing some goofy time travel thing, I don't know. I don't like stay away from time travel, guys. This doesn't work out in the Kelvin universe. Stay away from time travel. And well, so that was the original plan was to do a either time travel or alternate reality where Kirk basically gets to meet his dad is the idea. Um, Boo. And so that's why, that's why they wanted Chris Hemsworth. I mean, who knows? We never know if that would have been any good. <laughs> no more time travel and not in the Kelvin universe. It never goes well. <laughs> There's always gigantic death ships are appearing out of nowhere now. But, I mean, and that's the thing. I know contract talks happen. People deserve their money. Um, but Zoe Saldana, who's huge, is still in it. And I think she's already signed. So I'm hopeful that maybe she'll pull Chris Pine aside and go, look, just, you know, you're not going to earn $10 million this movie. You're going to earn 9 But that's still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, don't, I definitely don't know the details, but that that's something that, that came out this last week. So we'll have to see. Nothing super official, so. A rumor of a rumor of a tweet, right? <laughs> More like, it's been reported, which, you know, is as good as a rumor these days. But 
Um, all right. Well, next week we are actually going to be talking about the tones of Trek. Basically, how the different shows have their own unique tones that are different from each other, and how that impacted the show, the characters, maybe even the following behind it. And Greg, this was your idea. Well, it's something that I, we've talked about in the past a little bit, but I'm, I'm excited because if you look at the shows uh, from a from like a twenty thousand foot view, they all are tonally very different. And, you know, we're going to get we're going to get into more details next week on what our viewpoints on that are. But I think it even transpires today from DS9 to Voyager to Enterprise to Discovery, you know, obviously next gen and TS and the original series. But I'm just talking about the jump in style and tone and character driven versus story driven versus episodic. So it kind of gives us an idea of of how Trek has evolved over the time, how it adjusts to consumer interest and fan interest. And let's be honest, Holly, excuse me, Hollywood is a lot more open to feedback apparently online and such these days than they, they have been in a while there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Well then I guess that's going to be it for us. So join us next week for that. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I've been, kind of binging tng a bit so i'm looking forward to having the conversation so um i am the star trek dude on twitter you can also find me on screen heroes which is our uh, flagship show on the heroes podcast network we cover tv and film so please check me out over there greg what about you you can find me at the, the underscore bittersteel on twitter awesome all right well that's going to be it for us we'll catch you guys next week see ya Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.